You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 15 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. As always, I just want to remind you that on whatever platform you're listening, go ahead and give us a like, a subscription, a written review even on whatever platform you're listening. Those little actions that you do help us spread this podcast farther and farther into a wider audience. So it's by those actions and your guys' support that we're able to continue this podcast every week. And if you remember last week when we left off, things were starting to get really real for Adam and Eve. They heard God coming. They were naked. They were afraid. And now we're going to see it's going to get even more real. Is that about right? You got it, man. All right. What verses are we reading today? Today we are in Genesis 3, 9 through 13. Y'all want me to read them? Go for it. Absolutely. All right. And just a reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the ESV. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Mm. There's a a lot of finger pointing going on around here. That's that's a great observation. Uh, So everything about the biblical narrative has been, you know, even one of the things we stressed in the Genesis 1 creation account, right, is how intimate everything was. And you you just see distance entering into the picture. uh, and it it manifests primarily through how, you know, characters are speaking. Everyone's pointing the finger. Everyone's blaming someone else. Isn't this also just like this, the real life consequences of living life in community, though? It can always be blamed on someone else. Mm. Well, it definitely didn't take long from, you know, biting into the fruit to divorce court, <laughs> like almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting. Matt and I were talking about this the other day. It's interesting to contrast uh, God's speech when he first shows up with how everyone else speaks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Adam immediately blames Eve. Eve immediately blames the serpent. But God doesn't immediately blame either. God doesn't lead off with accusations. He leads off with honest, earnest questions. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've always struggled with in reading the Bible is tone. So the Bible is like one big text message. And you, you read it, but you can't hear the tone. And, you know, it's like, man, you know, if God could have put some emojis in there, we could have, you know, known, you know, this is what he was, the, you know, how are we supposed to read, like, for instance, verse number nine, and God called to the man and said, where are you? Or is it, where are you? Or is it, where are you? Is it, you know, 
is it inquisitive? Is it, yeah. Is he gravelly in his voice? Is it, is it more, where are you? You know, <laughs> is it playful? Probably not. So it's interesting. Like we can't hear the sound. So the best we can do is to put the whole thing together to try to establish a tone and knowing, especially what's coming next week when he starts talking about the fallout and the consequences for all this yeah. certainly is probably not reasonable to say that this was playful. Like Adam, what are you doing? Hiding in the trees naked? No, yeah, but at the same time, it doesn't sound overly harsh. He seems to be interacting and responding to Adam in real time. Yeah, so on the one hand, I know that God is omniscient. He knows everything, including Adam's location in the garden at any given moment. Uh, but on the other hand, he seems to ask very forthrightly, Adam, where are you? I, I realize that it's hi highlighting, uh, and this is where a lot of interpreters come down, that it's highlighting the irony that their fellowship has always been out in the open, and this is the first time God would have to go looking for Adam. Um, but he lets the man give an account of why he was, he doesn't, he doesn't lead off with, here's what you did, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, um, reminds me of the old TV show where the detective Columbo, yes. he, just, he, he already knows who done it, but he's just asking the questions. <laughs> so I almost imagine God going, and uh, one more thing, yeah. who told you you were naked? The, boom, right. he's got him. So if this is ever dropped, you're saying all Bible dramatizations have failed in not casting Peter Falk in the in the God role. <laughs> I'd be in favor of it. So, so it is interesting, though, like every movie you've ever seen or audiobook you've ever listened to or dramatized Bible for that matter. The God voice is always this deep, rich, booming male voice like James Earl Jones, something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. but who knows what God sounds like? Do not know. challenge my presupposition, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's crazy is that it's, I, I think that it comes from like Zeus, right? Like all of the Western depictions of God are always basically the same as Zeus. You just swap a lightning bolt out or whatever. Ah, what there is. may be something to that. You know, that's one of the reasons I enjoy the Cotton Patch Gospel. Nathan, are you familiar Clarence with Clarence Jordan, yeah. Yeah, he's a... Uh, What's it? Is it Koinonia guy? Farm or what's it? Yeah, Koinonia Farm. Are you familiar with it, Gandalf? I'm not. You're explaining new territory. To okay, me. so he he basically it's a uh, paraphrase it, of the New Testament translation, more of a paraphrase of the New Testament, where he basically reinterprets. It's kind of like a colloquial. It's a yeah, colloquial. Yeah. He changes all the names and stuff like that, and the locations and the cities. And the cultural situations that are dealt with in the New Testament to be as if it took place in like the American South in the 1930s. It's it's very interesting, and so it's got a whole different tone to it and stuff like that. Like for instance, Disney <laughs> is incredible with doing this about tone. Like I was watching uh, the cartoon because Disney Plus you can watch any cartoon now. It's just amazing. Uh, we were watching Robin Hood the other day. Uh, Udalali. Yeah, Udalali. All right, so, all right, that's British history, yet every single character has this huge southern draw. <laughs> it just sounds like something. That's hilarious. That's right out catch. of the American South. So, who knows what God sounds like here? I mean, we don't know. We just we have to put pieces together. I think here's what we do see is this is that God is asking questions. And God's, the purpose of God's questions are to lead man to a place 
ultimately to repentance, but to lead man to a place of truth uh, where God is not the only spirit in chapter three that asks well, and, a question. And again, that's it. How, how did the serpent start the conversation? He yeah. asked questions. That spirit said, did God actually say? You shall not eat of the tree of any... And by the way, how did he say that? I don't know. I'm just assuming because of what I want the devil to sound like. But what 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 is the what is the end of the question? That's it. So also another thing, it reminds me, since talking about Disney stuff, and that's just the world I live in as a as a dad of small children. But it this whole thing with the serpent reminds me a little bit of uh, the Lion King. I know we've mentioned it in the past. But in the cartoon version, after the stampede goes through the ravine and Simba's dad, Mufasa, is killed, even though the whole thing was set up by Scar, the uncle, the bad uncle, the devil figure, uh, when Scar shows up with Simba, and even though Scar is the one to blame, he's the one that set this in motion, he looks at Simba as Simba's standing over his dead dad, and he says, Simba what have you done? And Mm. that I think is indicative of the accuser of the brethren. That's by the the devil. What does that result in? What does that result in? Shame leaves the paradise hiding setting and goes into exile. That's right. Mm. And he goes and he finds a paradise of his own making. Interesting. There it is. Mm. But anyway, so this question, God's, God's question is not bringing judgment or condemnation. It it's rather seeking, seeking His creation. That's it, and we'll talk about that some next week. But how I, I think I think God often gets a harsher tone in the way that we read this chapter than some of the text plays out. We've had that conversation, and we'll we'll continue it. Shout out, you know, shameless plug for next week's episode. Um, but, uh, you know, God does not lead off with an accusation. He leads off with uh, a, a seemingly forthright interrogation. Where are you then? Who told you that you were naked? Again, he assumes a third party. Not, mm-hmm. you, you see what I'm saying? He assumes mm-hmm. that there's a third party. Again, and I know God is omniscient and I know this, but I want to read it in the context that it's revealed to us in a story. Um, so who told you this thing that you otherwise didn't know? Um and it's only after that second question, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Um, and then again, contrast that with Adam. Lord, the woman you gave me, she did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Also, another thing that's interesting, the man and the woman hide, but the serpent doesn't. Mm. He doesn't run. He's just there. Because then it says, then God said to the serpent. That's right. So um, interesting how that all fits together. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting for me, you know, we've talked about, uh, especially in last episode, how differently um, how differently creation is seen in the span of a few verses, right? At the end of Genesis 2, they are naked and unashamed. Um, in Genesis 3, 8, uh, their eyes are opened. Uh, excuse me, in Genesis 3, 7, uh, their eyes are opened and they realize they're naked, so immediately they desire to cover themselves. Uh, and then they hear God. And so they try to hide. Look at how much speaking has changed um, after their, you know, after their disobedience as well. Uh, when Adam 
first lays eyes on Eve. Well, you know, I, like I said, it's that ancient Hebrew R&B, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one is from me and for me. Now Adam is taking the initiative to distance himself from Eve and shift culpability for what's happened onto her. Even though God's questions are constantly directed, you know, in verse 9 it says, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, third person singular, where are you? Singular, not where are y'all, where are you? And then right. Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I, not we, I was afraid because I, not we, I was naked and I, not we, I hid myself. And then uh, God says, who told you, singular, that you were naked? Have you, singular, eaten of the tree which I commanded you, singular, not to eat? And then, so everything's everything's in the singular. And then look what he do, look what Adam does. He puts all of the singular culpability on the woman, the woman whom you singular gave to be with me. She singular gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. I think that's interesting. Yeah, he doesn't like all that attention he's getting. All all of those singular pronouns, he starts shifting it to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Adam. It's you, 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 and Adam says, "Yep." But it's her. (laughs) Again, all this to say, since Eve was created as the eatser, the helpmate for man, uh, you know, you have, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two of them will be one flesh, right? You've You've had individuals operating collectively. You see that ripped apart. Uh, and it's not God doing it. It's, it's man, it's mankind initiating that. Uh, they they took of the fruit together. They made clothes together. They hid together, and then suddenly it's Adam over here, Eve over there. I like I picture a slide whistle. <laughs> also, when the man is saying, "Listen, it, it's it's the woman that you gave me," it's not just pointing the finger at her. It's pointing the finger at God. It's yeah, saying, "Hey, gutsy. listen, this was your game plan. You put her here." Man, that's a bold move by Adam. I'm not sure I'd be. That is so. That's bold. a bold move, brother. <laughs> it's like, brother, man. I don't know if you, if y'all should be pointing the finger. Also, as a parent, and also at, from having been a child myself, uh, back in the day, this is something children do all the time. That when mm-hmm. the pressure gets too heavy, you turn it back on your parents. It's something that you all have done, mom and dad that has caused this well it's interesting you say that because although like this is a bad situation that we're reading about it it reminds me so much of you know a a parent and child relationship because i know i have been in the situation where my mom she already knows what i did she already (laughs) knows that the jig is up but she's asking me it's like okay well where were you what did you do what did you say Oh, that's so true like parents asking Mm. questions to uh, things they already know the answer to. Well, it's it's just like you said, Matt. It, it's not it's not so much as accusatory. It's trying to lead you to the truth. Uh, yeah, trying to lead you Actually, to redemption. And there's another thing, and I, I don't know if this is present here, but I know when I do that with my kids, is it helps me understand the depth of the problem. Meaning, if when I confront them with questions that I already know the answer to, if they're honest with me. That's and right. say, look, I'm wrong. I was wrong, Dad. Look, I should have come to you. Then instant restoration. Hey, look, 
it's okay. Forget about it. I forgive you. Let's move on. But if it's, if they lie about it and try to cover it, it's like, oh, this is a deeper problem. We got to work through this. And this is what happens in the garden. This is, this is deep. You know, we'll never know what would have happened if, you know, when God said, you know, who told you were, you were naked? Uh, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? If, if Adam would have just said, Father, yes. <laughs> if, if Adam were only George Washington, Father, I could not tell a lie. I cut down the cherry tree. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's apocryphal history on George. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Apocryphal history on George Washington. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, I, it, I, I seriously doubt George Washington. But it, it does highlight... Um, it does highlight a biblical pattern that you will see play out over and over again. God is the only perfectly just character. I love uh, what Paul will say in the New Testament, just and justifier. God is the only perfectly just character in all of Scripture, and yet one of the chief evidences of sin taking root in creation is that we make God most on trial for sin and its maladies, right? Um, That's true. Where, where we even take the blessings of God and we throw them in his face. God, if you hadn't given me this, this, this negative consequence would never have come about. It's interesting because the problem of evil and suffering remains the most popular argument against belief in God uh, in, in contemporary society. Let me speak um, to that, Nathan, because, uh, you know, one of the things that I've experienced in my life, especially in my adult life, have been several chapters of of suffering. Uh, one of those is uh, actually three years ago this past week, my son died. And uh, this past year, my wife has battled cancer and carried a baby at the same time. It was just a, it was a big ordeal. Um, but one of the things that I had to wrestle through, and by the way, if anybody's listening to this and they've lost a loved one, uh, my heart goes out to you. I, I sympathize with you and empathize with you deeply. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And don't try to make sense of it because it's, it's impossible to make sense of. But one of the things that I did think about, this is the cold, hard fact reality of losing a child. This is not the emotional comfort that comes from God. This is just dealing with the facts. My child was taken from me, yet my child was also given to me. Like I didn't, I, I lost something that I had been given. Like I cannot articulate my suffering without acknowledging the blessing mm. because my son Judah was and is a blessing. And the reason the suffering hurts is because the blessing is real. So you, you can't pull apart the, the blessing from the suffering and just say, you know, God is just, you know, he doesn't care. He's just a God who doesn't care about our suffering. The, the reason the sufferings are painful is because there are such things as blessings, and that's what hurts so bad. Absolutely. I, I, I've heard a quote where, I forgot who said it, but it was, the sorrow I have now was the happiness I had before. Yeah. Yes. And it, not to be the token children's book guy on the podcast, uh, but it, rem it reminds me of a Winnie the Pooh quote. Oh, I love that. How lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. Oh, that's good. That's good. Or it, since we've already quoted Indiana Jones, another one is that when they're they're talking, uh, it's in the that unmentionable fourth movie where uh, 
they say we've <laughs> lived <laughs> that we've lived long enough that life has stopped giving and has started taking. And for some of us that starts earlier. All of this is hitting around the same reality though. When relationships are in a good place, right? Mm-hmm. The focus is overwhelmingly on the ble- even on the difficult blessings, right. even on loss, right? right. Um, but when re- relationships are marred by sin, even if the sin was not directly against one another, um, mm. when relationships are marred by sin, it becomes a matter of blaming everyone but ourselves. Uh, you know, blaming Adam, blaming Eve, Adam blaming God. Yeah, is it fair to say here, as Gandalf has mentioned a few minutes, this is God, this is no, rather Adam pointing the finger at God. Well, and again, I, like I was, I, was uh, I think I uh, intimated this earlier, but didn't really get into the substance of it. This is something that will come up again, uh, again, over and over biblically. Uh, even when God leads his people out of Egypt, they've been in generations of slavery in the Exodus. Oh, yeah, you um, let us out here God to die. Will le- Yet God will lead them out of Egypt. And by the way, how ironic, he will mark their freedom with a meal. <laughs> He'll mark mm. the ultimate with something, uh, with an immediate provision. Um, and the very first thing, you know, they, they leave Egypt. They He saves them as they pass through the waters. We've talked about that in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, they will sing a hymn in good Baptist fashion. And in the very <laughs> next verses, they will complain about food and water. Why did you bring us out here to die? Um, you'll see this in the exile later in the Old Testament. You see it in Ezekiel. Uh, the, the children of exile say, hey, our fathers have eaten the sour grapes, but it's our teeth that are set on edge. In other words, they did the sinning. We're left with the consequences. Right. Uh, you know, the uh, I joke about this. The, the token thing that is said about the millennial generation is that we blame our parents for everything. Um, uh, again, uh, it makes me think of, uh, this is a modern example, and I know we're talking more around the Bible than from the Bible in this episode, uh, but it's that old G.K. Chesterton story where, you know, there's an op piece in the paper that says, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton uh, writes in and says, dear sir, I am. Mm, yeah, uh, it's it's who is culpable for sin? Uh, and that's the beautiful big picture of the Bible. Right. And in this in this passage, mankind is confront, confronted with sin, not by God leading off with harsh accusations, but God leading off with uh, with forthright questions. And even despite God coming off harshly, um, mankind's sinful response is to point the finger at every at everyone but himself. Adam points the finger at Eve. Eve points the finger at the serpent. Uh, meanwhile, the great hope of the Bible is this person who will come onto the picture, God himself entering the story in the person of Jesus Christ, who will be guilty of no sin and who will step into the guilt of everyone. Um, mm. So, uh, but I do think, I, again, I do think the conversational dynamic, what have words done in the, in the story so far? When God has used words, God has used words to create um uh, when the serpent has used his, uh, used words, he's used words to deceive and corrupt. And now Adam is using setting in uh, motion a pattern where words are used to create distance rather than intimacy. That's mm. good, Nathan. And another thing Absolutely. I don't want us to forget, we kind of mentioned it last episode, is don't forget here, looking in verse 13, it's the plain lands with, and the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
it, it does the blame does get put there and God picks up on that by starting in verse 14 with speaking of the consequences to the serpent who does the serp the serpent who does he have to blame like he's not even he's not even hiding he's not even like covering himself up nothing he's just like hanging out by the tree mm. everyone else well, is gone and or in the field. tree in the tree because part of his punishment will be cast down you know crawling on his belly that's true also you know the serpent can't say god made me this way because no he can't the serpent is rebelling he's choosing to do something that's other than what he was created for do you think that the serpent like what was the end game we taught we touched on this when we first introduced the character the serpent but like what's What's the serpent's end game here? Does he think that God is just going to smite Adam and Eve right here? Is it like a shock to him when he when he like you know? That's a great question. Covers them up and sends and sends them out. He's like, oh dang it! I thought they was they were done for. So, from a human perspective, and when we're talking about sin, uh, there there hardly ever is an ultimate end game that we've carefully articulated it's typically like instant gratification in game like i'm doing this because i want this to happen it's not because of this, you know that's that's why like so many conspiracy theories about just about any subject are so ridiculous is that uh, human beings aren't that organized <laughs> you know people don't people aren't that careful people people don't you know, aren't able to work some kind of grand plan behind the scenes and pulling strings and all, all that stuff. It's just human condition won't allow for that. But, yeah. uh, but that's humanly though. So I don't think humans are, you know, organized enough to come up with grand plans and ultimate goals for every time they sin. But the serpent's not human. What do you think, Nathan? I, I don't know. R- repeat the question. Like, I- the question I asked was, what's the serpent's end game here? Like, does he think that God is just going to smite Adam and Eve? Is he, like, a, is he like aghast that his plans didn't come to fruition when God allows them to just leave the garden? Like, what was what was he trying to accomplish here? Yeah, so it is. It, I, I will say this. It's interesting for me that this story starts off, you know, we've talked about the Lord God and then the shift to God and then in the aftermath. Uh, the return to calling him the Lord God. It's interesting for me that at the beginning of this chapter, the serpent leads off in speaking, correct? Mm-hmm. And then from the time God shows up, what do you notice? The serpent yeah, he doesn't is speak silent. Again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that's, in, that's what's interesting to me is uh, there was, there was nothing that was going to result. Uh, in other words, how, how am I saying this? The serpent could not advance his plan by saying something to God. All of his damage came through saying something to mankind made in the image of God. Uh, mm. And this this will be um, this will be a recurring strategy of the, of the devil throughout Scripture. Sure. Um, He's been um, lying since the beginning. He goes about as a roaring lion, lying, deceiving, accusing. Right. Um, uh, but in the presence of God Himself, the serpent is silent. Uh, so I, I know that uh, we've referenced him in previous podcasts. I know that Dr. Michael Heiser, when he's ta- asked about this question, one of the things that he says is that Satan and then you know his minions, so to speak, don't really believe that they can overthrow God. Because how do you get that past what James says that you know even the demons believe that God is one, uh, and they and they shudder. 
But it's not about overthrowing God. It's rather about stalling or, you know, not thwarting. thwarting permanently, but like somehow stalling the plan of God. Because it was, it was God's plan for man to spread abroad Eden, okay? Adam was to cultivate the ground. He was to spread and push the borders of Eden all over the earth. But we're going to find out next week, uh, he's not going to be able to spread the boundaries of Eden because he's going to be kicked out of Eden. So now the the ground that was not Edenic that he was supposed to spread over, he, Adam no longer has the ability to uh, spread Eden any longer. Uh, and so we'll have to wait for someone who's going to come and be able to do that. Yeah, it reminds me of when I uh, bought our first home. There were some box hedges out front, and I asked a deacon in our church about trimming them back pretty aggressively. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Pastor, uh, those box hedges have survived everything. You could douse them in gasoline um, and light them on fire, and they would be back the next spring. Um, Well, leave it to me and my black thumb. I cut them back pretty aggressively, and then we had a, a once-in-a-century ice storm in South Louisiana, and all of these hedges that have been planted with the house um, were, were just dead, uh, seemingly mm. overnight. Um, and I just thought this irrevocable damage had been done. Uh, and of course, that's not the end of the gardening story. Um, but before we get too far, and then ahead, you blamed Adam, who blamed Eve, who blamed the I, serpent. Yeah, I blamed the deacon. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, and, and I guess uh, you know the Bible is this beautiful story of redemption, and I, I think it wraps up. Uh, but before we can get too far into the redemption, I think we do have to wrestle more than we've been able to in this episode with the fullness of the consequences. Yeah, and I'd really like to urge the listener: if you're listening to this now, and there's already a new episode that we've already recorded released in the future go ahead and do as do as much as you can to go ahead and listen to that one because this really is a two-parter yeah because everything we've talked about in these verses are going to be the setup for great things on down the line not just in this next episode but for the rest of the narrative of the bible so we're going to invite you to listen to that episode either next week or right now or whenever you can and we'll see you guys next week see you next time shalom Y'all stopping? I'm locking that in.